Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will continue his Monday through Wednesday expository message series from the book of Genesis. This message and previous messages are available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Father, we're so prone to steal your credit and to be proud and unthankful. And Lord, from the study this morning, we pray that you would open our eyes that we might see all you've done and bring us to know that we're just men. We're only men. And from this knowledge, Lord, help us to become a humble and a thankful people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, you turn in Genesis chapter 1, and I'm going to read this chapter, and as I do, I'm going to emphasize certain words, and I want you to take note of that as we go through this. Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness, and there, God divided the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. The evening and the morning were the first day, and God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. It was so, and God called the firmament heaven. The evening and the morning were the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the gathering together of the waters called these seas and God saw it was good. God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind whose seed is in itself upon the earth. It was so. And the earth brought forth grass and herb yielding seed after his kind and the tree yielding fruit whose seed is in itself after his kind and God saw that it was good and the evening and the morning were the third day and God said let there be lights in the firmament of heaven to divide the light from the night the day from the night and let them be for signs for seasons for days for years and let them be for lights in the firmament of heaven to give light upon the earth and God made two great lights the greater light to rule the day the lesser light to rule the night he made the stars also and God set them in the firmament of the, of the heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw it was good. Your evening and morning were the fourth day. And God said, let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life and fowl that they may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. And God created great whales and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind. And God saw it was good, and God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the waters of the seas, let the, earth, the fowl multiply in the earth. In the evening and the morning were the fifth day, and God said, Let the earth bring forth the, creep, the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping things, and the beasts of the earth after his kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth, after his kind, and cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind, and God saw it was good. And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and then let them have dominion over the sea, a fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created him, male and female, and created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, 
I have given you every herb bearing seed which is upon the face of the earth and every tree in the f- which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed to you. It shall be for meat, and to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth wherein there is life. I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Now, if you want a short phrase to describe Genesis 1, it would be those words in Genesis uh, 1, that verse 29, where he says, I've given to you, to you, for you. That's what God told man. Now, there's one word that's going to describe this chapter, and at the end of the class today, I'm going to ask you what that word is. I think it'll be very obvious to you. But first of all, let me start with a question. In your mind, why did God wait until the sixth day to create man? Why didn't God make man earlier than the sixth day? What do you think? He had to build the house. He had to furnish it, too. (laughs) He had to build it and furnish it. All right, good. The world, as as, as has been said, The world wasn't ready for man yet, as Clinch said. He had to build the house and he had to furnish the house. God had to first prepare the world for man. Now, what we get to see here is God the great preparer at work. And so let's have a look at this and look at this again and keep this in mind. So I was trying to emphasize as we read those verses. How did God prepare the earth for man? Well, in verse 3, we saw God was created the light. So that, so that, like you saw last week, when you have visitors to come to our San Diego, the light enables them to see for themselves San Diego. So you don't have to say to them, if you could see, this is what you'd see. <laughs> they could see it for themselves. That's why the Lord Jesus Christ came to earth. Because then men could see for themselves. Until he came, man had only heard about God, but man hadn't seen God. But after he came as the light of the world, in John 1.14, it says, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld we could see for ourselves that, that with no one telling us about him, we could see his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father. That's why he said in John 14, 9, when he was speaking to Philip, he said, he that has seen me has seen the Father. So he created the light. And in the first thing, actually the first thing he did after he had the new creation of heaven and earth was to create the light. That's what the first thing he did. Turn to 2 Corinthians 5.17. Now that was the creation of the earth and the heaven. Now look at 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a what? He's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So what is a, what is a new Christian called? A new Christian is called a new creation. A new creation. And what's the first thing? Look, turn a chapter back, 2 Corinthians 4, 6. The first thing that God does for that new creature in Christ, that new creation, it says is God who commanded, what? The light. To shine out of darkness. Has shined in our hearts to give what? The light. The light. 
of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So just as when he made the earth and he made the heavens, the first thing he did was create the light. So it is that when, when there's a new Christian, a new creation in Christ, the first thing he does is the light is created. The light is commanded to go on so that they understand who God is. They understand who the Lord Jesus Christ is. That's the first thing that he does. Now, he also prepared the earth for man by not only creating the light, but then he prepared the earth by separating the light from the darkness. That was what he did at the end of day one. In verse three, we're going to ask the question now, was God finished with the light? Was he going to do anything more with the light? Yes, he's going to do something more with the light. So he's not quite finished yet. And we're going to see as we get a little bit further down in this chapter that God is going to do more with the light. But he can't do anything more with the light right now until he creates a place for these, for these things that he's going to create, for these lights that he's going to create. So now he goes about and he creates this new place. And what's the new place called in verse 6? The firmament. The firmament, if you were living in King James' day, you would say the firmament. (laughs) Um, The firmament. God prepared the earth for man by go creating this place for the lights to be. Waters under the firmament, waters above the firmament, that in-between part, that's the firmament. That's the firmament, the rakia. It divided the waters from under the firmament from the waters that are above the firmament. Now, what's the next thing that God did to prepare the earth for man in verse 9? He gathered all the waters together into one place. So that what would appear? The dry land would appear. And what did he call the dry land? He called it earth. He said, that's earth. And the earth's a wonderful place. It's got meadows and deserts and mountains and fields and shopping centers. No. (laughs) But it's a wonderful place, the dry land, the earth. And that's what he did to prepare prepare for man's coming. And then the gathering together of the waters, what did he call that? Seas, yamim. And that word means the, not just the oceans, but it's the oceans, and it's the seas, and it's the lakes, and it's the rivers, and it's the streams, and it's the brooks. That was the end of the second day in his preparation work. Now, why did he gather together all those waters together? Okay, look, in, in Psalm 104, Verse 10, he says, it says here why he did that. There's a wonderful verse here. I don't want you to miss this one. Psalm 104, verses 10 through 14. This has got some great truths in here about the gathering together of the waters. What it says in verse 10, he sendeth the springs into the valley which run among the hills. Isn't that wonderful? God, they didn't just happen. God sent those springs. He sent them. That's what it says. And then in verse 11, it says, they give drink to every beast of the field. He sent those to give drink to the beasts of the field. And then it says, the wild asses quench their thirst. He knew they'd have thirst. So he sent those streams there to quench their thirst. By them shall the fowls of the heaven have their habitation, which sing among the branches. Notice verse 13. He watereth the hills from his chambers. It's from God's chambers as the earth, the, the rain is referred to as the water coming down. The earth is satisfied. The earth had a need, but the earth was satisfied with the fruit of thy works. Verse 14, he causeth the grass to grow for the cattle and herb for the service of man. Why? That he might bring forth food out of the ground, out of the earth, out of the earth. So why did he do all that? 
Because he prepared. He was preparing the earth. He was preparing it for man. And he, so he had to make the system to water the earth, which is spoken of in such personal terms as he sent it there. And he caused it to, 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 to grow. And, and he opened up his chambers from heaven. Psalm 95 verse 5 puts it like this. The sea is his. It's God's. The sea is his. And he made it. And his hands formed the dry land, the yatsar, like the potter. He squeezed it into shape. He made it just right. Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It says, The world and they that dwell therein. Now, what makes us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, different from the rest of the world is that we take our stand against that nonsense science that says it all just kind of fell together. You know, in the beginning there was a big bang and now we have everything. All right, turn to Jonah. Jonah chapter 1, verse 9. This is a very important position that we take. Jonah chapter 1, verse 9. Okay. Now, here's Jonah. He's in the middle of... of, of uh, of people that don't know God, they have no knowledge of God, and he identifies himself, and he takes a stand, okay? That, that's one way to look at it. The other way to look at it is that there was a whole lot of trouble going on, and everybody wanted to know what's the reason for the trouble, and in verse 9 he says, I'm a Hebrew. That's it. Say no more. We understand now. <laughs> But that's not the point we're trying to make this morning. <laughs> he said unto them, I am an Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven which hath made the sea and the dry land. We are so bombarded with the lie of evolution. It's therapeutic for us this morning to say what he said together. Let's say it together, but don't say you're a Hebrew. Say we're a Christian, okay? I am a Christian. Let's say it together. I am a Christian. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which made the sea and the dry land. Let's say it together. I am a Christian, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which made the sea and the dry land. That's a wonderful confession to make. Because that's what we believe. And as we read this, we are saying, we believe this happened. We believe this in Genesis 1. God prepared the earth for man by doing all this. God made three divisions in Genesis 1 to prepare the earth for man. You know what those were? What's the first division he made? Light from darkness. What's the second division he made? Yeah, he, he, when he did that, he also separated, he made the dry land from the seas, and then this one, he separated the liquid water from the vapor water. Now, God has made a provision, as we've seen here, to have dry land and a way to water the land, and he can now move on to the next preparation for man. And what's the next thing he did in verse 12? It may seem like it's not significant to you, because you probably buy, buy Roundup to kill it. But anyway, what does it say in verse 12? He made the, yeah, the grass, the herbs, grass. I don't know if yours says grass. Mine says grass, but anyway. Grasses, grasses. He made grasses. And those are wonderful. Grasses are so important. You know, we don't think they're so important now because we destroyed them all in our country. This place used to be, the United States used to be, have these vast areas called grasslands. But in Africa, 
you really see the importance of the grass feeding all those animals. Elephants eat 400 pounds of grass a day. That's what they do. And, and, and as you know, we have about 200 goats. They don't eat that much. But we, we feed them baled alfalfa, our goats. We used to. And it's expensive. Unless we switched to pellets. It doesn't matter. It's very expensive. But when I was in Tanzania and I saw this herd of 200 elephants, I got, you know, started thinking about how much does it cost to feed those elements. Got very, very nervous because those 200, that, that one herd, uh, those 200 elephants, I got very nervous because I realized they're eating 80,000 pounds of grass a day. This herd, just one herd, 80,000 pounds. If we had to buy alfalfa, that would cost $3 million a year. Sure glad they weren't mine. But, and that was just one of the herds. And they're not the only ones eating the grass there. The gazelles are eating the grass, and the, and the antelopes are eating the grass, and the wildebeest are eating the grass, and the, the water buffalo is eating the grass. Everything's eating grass. All these herbivore animals. And, and God prepared those grasses for those animals. And they didn't look like they were going hungry. And, and so he made the grass. He put the plants on the earth for man, and the fruit trees he put on the earth for man. Preparation, preparation, preparation. Tom, today you talked about how God prepared the earth for its inhabitants. That portrays a God that's preparing, a preparing God. What other places do we see God as a preparing God? Yes, it's very, very interesting, this aspect of God, because we know that God does not change. That is a tenet of Scripture. The Lord Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. So what we see him doing here in Genesis, you can bet your bottom dollar that this is exactly what he's going to be doing now and in the future. And it says in 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 10, But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. So God says that for believers, he has prepared unbelievable things, unseen things, unheard things. But there is also something else, the other side of the coin, where it talks about God's preparation. And that is in Matthew 25, 41, where it says, then shall he also, then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So, for those who have submitted themselves to him and become his followers, he has prepared wonderful things. But for those who have remained defiant against him and rebellious against him, it says that he has also prepared for them a place called an everlasting fire. But he says this was never prepared for man. Man was never intended to be there. It was prepared for the devil and his angels. And it's only when man aligns himself with the devil and his angels that he goes to that place of preparation. Tom, you mentioned today that God is prepared for his people after they die. And what has not been seen or heard of or even ever imagined has been prepared by God. But what in Scripture is said about 
what is prepared for believers? Well, we get little glimpses into this wonderful things that God has prepared for his people. And one of the glimpses that we do get is in Hebrews eleven sixteen, And it, in this chapter of Hebrews 11, it talks about those who decided to align themselves with God when the going got very tough. When they were against the grain, when they were against the flow, when they had to suffer for it, and they stood for God. And many of these were martyred, and they sealed their testimony with their blood. And what it says about them in Hebrews eleven sixteen, it says, But now they desire a better country, that is, an heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. What this says about these people our brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, followers of him, is that with all their heart, they look at the country they live in and the countries of this world, and they say, polluted, corrupted, rebellious against God, and they yearn from their hearts for a better country. And God says, I heard that yearning. I saw that yearning. I will prepare for you a better country. These people who live in cities, and the cities are cities of sin and defilement, and the cities are places of heartache and cruelty and corruption, and they yearn in their hearts for a city. It says that Abraham looked for a city whose builder and maker is God, because Abraham knew if there was a city whose builder and maker is God, then it'll be a place of righteousness. It'll be a place of justice. It'll be a place of beauty, of harmoniousness, of the shalom harmoniousness. And God says, for those, he's prepared a city, a city of God. So Abraham lived in a tent all of his life, as a as a ongoing statement, I'm looking for a city. Who, what kind of city, Abraham? A city whose builder and maker is God. And then he said in John 14, 1 through 3, the Lord Jesus Christ, looking on our hearts, which can become so easily troubled, especially at the aspect of death. And he says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? believe also in me. It's almost as if he was saying, believe in God, that's a little too nebulous. Believe in me, that's crystallized, that's specific. Believe also in me, not just believe into me, trust into me, rely into me. That's what it means, believe also in me. And then he said, in my father's house are many mansions. And then in a very Jewish way, he says, if it were not so, I would have told you. In other words, he's saying, is it true? I'm telling you. I'm telling you. It's true. In my father's house are many mansions. And he says, I'm going. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And he said, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you love to be with him? He says, I'll meet that need because heaven is a place where I am and heaven is a place where you can be with me always in a place called my father's house, 
where there are many mansions, and I've gone to prepare a place for you. And what a wonderful place that is. How we thank God that he is a preparing God. He prepared for the animals and the inhabitants in the garden in Genesis, and he prepares for his believers, his followers, so so much so that he can't wait for the day when he will say, look what I've done for you. Look how I've prepared for you. I know I never saw this. Ears never heard of this. Mine never imagined this, but I've done it, and I've done it for you because that's who I am, a preparing God to prepare for him. You know, there was no room for him at the inn to be born, and so he was born in a manger. That's a sad commentary on mankind. And you could look at your heart and you could say, that's the inn. And the question is, is there room in the inn of your heart for him? Will you prepare him a place, a place where he will be the king of your life, a place where he will be the God of your life, a place where he will be the love of your life. Will you do that for him? Look how much he's done for you. Thank you for joining us today. Join us again tomorrow as Tom Cantor continues our series in Genesis. Now, do you have a Jewish friend that needs to be reached with the gospel? We'd like to help you to get a gospel gift sent to them. We'd like to help you to be able to do that. So call us today at one 800 247 3051. Once again, that's 1-800-247-3051 and help return one of God's lost sheep of his Jewish nation back to him by reaching them with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So call us today at 1-800-247-3051. You can also visit our websites, friendshipwithgod.org and israelrestoration.org and you can learn more about the friendship of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. You can also find Israel Restoration Ministries and Tom Cantor on Facebook. Well, we hope you join us again tomorrow at the same time as we continue in Genesis.